Thank you for tuning into Weathering the Storm podcast, a work of Scattered Abroad, which is overseen by the East Hill Church of Christ in Pulaski, Tennessee. You can find our website at scatteredabroad.org. That's scatteredabroad.org. In this podcast, our goal is to help us weather the storms of life by looking to and sustaining an unwavering faith in God. Here is your host, Drew Suttles. Hello and welcome to Weathering the Storm, a podcast where we strive to weather the storms of life by placing and sustaining an unwavering faith in God. I'm your host, Drew Suttles, and I welcome you back. We are now on Season 2 of Weathering the Storm on the Scattered Abroad Network, and today we are recording Episode 14. It's hard to believe we've uh, recorded this many already, but excited about our study today as we discuss what it means and why it is important to weather the storm with confidence. And to help me today is my good friend Chase Green. Uh, Chase has been on this podcast before, but I don't know that we've recorded since we've joined Scout Abroad together. So th- I think this is the first for us here, but uh, enjoy Chase and his podcast, the Everyday Christian Podcast, and thankful to have him as a guest. And so I want to turn it over to him and let him uh, introduce himself again for uh, maybe some new listeners. And Chase, if you will, talk about your podcast, uh, what's going on now, and maybe plans that you have for the future. Sure. Well, I appreciate you for having me on the podcast again today. Uh, My name is Chase Green, and I preach for the Marietta Church of Christ in Marietta, Oklahoma. And I've been here for about a year now, uh, almost uh, in August of 2021. I'm married to my wife of eight years now, Lindsay, and we have three children, Andrew and Amelia and Mariah. And, um, just uh, really enjoy being on the Scattered Abroad Network with, with you and the other guys, and that has definitely benefited me greatly uh, with this podcast. And uh, the Everyday Christian Podcast is, is my podcast that comes out every Monday uh, when we're in season on the uh, Scattered Abroad Network, and we're currently in season four, uh, like you are, but season two, as, as we have joined the Scattered Abroad Network of podcasts. And this season, we're going to cover some topics such as mission work, mentorship, and uh, some current cultural topics. And I'm actually going to invite my brother, uh, Lane Green, who is 16, so he's a good bit younger than I am. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to enjoy inviting him on with the podcast with me to kind of see his perspective as a a younger Christian male, uh, what he thinks about some things. So I'm really looking forward to that. And then also I've got a study of the book of James uh, going on in this season as well. Right. Some other topics that we have covered in prior seasons, postmodernism, uh, discouragement, everyday Christians, everyday routine. That's been a really popular uh, episode as far as a lot of people have been downloading that one. And I, I can see why uh, we, it's yeah. good for us to get into a routine, spiritually right. speaking. So uh, your listeners may want to check that one out. Yep. We've also talked about things like evangelism, Christian evidences, um, and, and many other topics. And I look forward to continuing to develop uh, more topics on the podcast on Mondays at the Scattered Abroad Network. Absolutely. Well, yeah, again, to our listeners, go check out the Everyday Christian Podcast. It is a great podcast. And like you mentioned, it comes out on Monday. So you get to start your week off of course, worshiping God on the first day of the week. But then once that Monday rolls around, sometimes Mondays are tough. And that's a great day for the Everyday Christian podcast. We can 
kind of see what's most important, make sure we're seeking first the kingdom and some practical things that we can apply to our lives. So Chase, again, I appreciate you. appreciate your podcast and uh, thank you for being with me today. Absolutely. I appreciate you as well. Thank you. Thank you. So I mentioned a few moments ago, today we're going to discuss weathering the storm with confidence. And as always, I like to define terms as we begin each episode. So maybe the world has a a skewed view of what confidence is. Sometimes it comes across as arrogance, maybe. But how would you distinguish or define maybe confidence as opposed to arrogance? Well, I think it's interesting that you asked me to... uh to develop this particular topic because I remember as a, a teenager going into sporting events and things, I saw certain guys and there was definitely an air of arrogance mm-hmm. and I kind of reacted that way. You know, I didn't want to be arrogant and I kind of reacted by not having much confidence sometimes. <laughs> and so that's something that I kind of struggled with when I was doing various athletic activities as a kid, mm-hmm. but there is a difference. And so in keeping with that, I'm going to make an, an application from the sporting world. Uh, my mind immediately goes to sports when I think about confidence mm-hmm. versus arrogance. Yep. So let's think of it this way. Let's say it's a, a game of basketball, and you've got one player, a point guard, who is, as we say, calm, cool, and collected. He's got the ball with 15 seconds left. He's being double, double covered, and it doesn't bother him at all. He's used to it. He's, he's practiced. He's prepared for this. He has developed his body and his, his rhythm, and he has developed for this moment and conditioned for it so that he's ready when that moment comes. So he's got 15 seconds left. He's a point card. He is being double covered, and he's moving the ball down to the court. He finds the open man. He passes it to him. That man makes the shot, wins the game. That's confidence. That is, he has prepared for that moment. He knows his teammates. He's practiced with them. He he knows who he can trust to make that final shot, and he passes them the ball, and and they win the game. That's confidence. But let's talk about arrogance. On the flip side, let's picture another point guard. This particular point guard is the big shot on the team, and he's the best player athletically on the team by far, and he knows it, and he's arrogant about it. He's a ball hog. He's, uh, if I can say this, kind of a punk <laughs> about it. Mm-hmm. He's, he's not the nicest man on uh, He's being double covered, too. Well, he drives the ball down the court. He looks to his left. The shooting guard is wide open, perfectly capable of making the shot if the point guard would just pass it to him. Only one problem. This guy's the ball hog and he's arrogant and he doesn't trust his teammates. And so instead of making that crucial pass, instead he takes the shot, he misses it and he loses the game. To me, that's kind of a real world example using athletics to describe the difference between confidence and arrogance. Right. And and I think the, the key word there that shows the difference is preparation. Absolutely. Uh, you know, the, the, the point guard that had the confidence, he was prepared because he's, he's prepared for that moment. And so he has that confidence about him taking that shot. It's not going to hurt his teammates. It's something that's going to help the team win. 
So with confidence, there is a sense of humility. But when Absolutely. it comes to arrogance, it's almost hard to find any humility at all. And I'll share this with you, you know, sporting minds together. One of the players that I despised growing up was Derek Jeter because I always thought he was just so arrogant and haughty the way he carried himself. But then as I got older, watching him carry himself, I was like, you know what, I've got more respect for Jeter now. You know, and then when he retired and went on that tour, you saw the respect pour out from Major League Baseball, from every team and from fans. He had, he had confidence. He wasn't lacking any confidence. But it was because of that preparation. He worked hard. But he had that, he had that aura about him. And I think that's something that, that we need. I think God, you know, wants us to be confident. There are things that we find in scriptures that can help us as Christians to be confident. And one passage that comes to mind very quickly, I know we're going to look at some points together, but Hebrews 4, 15 and 16, we can have confidence going to the throne of God. Uh, the, the Bible teaches you can do it so boldly, uh, with boldness in time of need, not because of our own, you know, whatever, but because of Jesus being our great high priest. So we can have confidence uh, also in the realm of prayer. If we ask anything according to his will, we can have confidence that he hears us if we find in the book of First John. So again, confidence in and of itself can be a, a good, positive thing. But when that turns into a haughty arrogance with no humility, then that's the issue, especially spiritually speaking. Yeah, it's uh, confidence is something that really we're placing our our trust on someone else, and in the case of a Christian, we're placing our trust in Christ. Exactly. And we have to develop ourselves, but we're developing ourselves, putting all of our confidence and our trust in Christ rather than self. the The arrogance is it's all about self. Right. There's a, a definition of confidence that I found online that says. Confidence is the feeling or belief that one can rely on someone or something. And then it says firm trust. And that trust is the key. And in our case as Christians, the reason that we can be confident is because we trust in the one who shed his blood for us. Absolutely. So again, that's a good way to put that is arrogance is trusting in yourself, but confidence is being able to confide, if you will, in someone else and put your trust in them. Absolutely. Those are great thoughts, Chase, and I'm glad you went there uh, to the sporting world. That's a, a thing that, you know, both of us as big sports fans, we can make that connection, but hopefully to our listeners, that'll help as well. Uh, but with our time remaining, we want to go to the scriptures, and we want to look at some examples of some individuals who had good confidence. And again, this is in a positive uh, way. Uh, they had confidence, and it, it comes out in things that they wrote, things that they said. So I want us to begin by looking at some Examples from the Old Testament. And the first one that comes to mind is Job. Job certainly weathered some storms, but he was able to do so with confidence. And so, Chase, can you think of maybe some statements that Job made or some, some things throughout that book that, that teach us and show us that he had confidence even in the midst of storms? Well, I think when you begin a discussion about Job, First of all, you've got to go back to chapter one and show that pro progression of just how one terribly awful thing after another hit him. And you got to see what his initial reaction to that was. So he, uh, there in Job chapter one, it says that uh, 
the day the day was when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking in their oldest brother's house and a messenger came to job and said the oxen were plowing the donkeys feeding beside them when the sabaeans raided them and took them away Indeed, they have killed the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone am escaped to tell you. And it goes through a progression of several different terrible things like that happening. And over and over again, uh, a messenger comes and says, and I'm the only one that has made it out to tell you. I'm the only one that has made it out to tell you. And then in verse 20 through 22, we find the reaction to that. If, If we put ourselves in Job's shoes there, we, we need to ask ourselves, would we be confident, even having lost all of this, losing his, his children, losing his livelihood, all the things that he loses here in chapter one, would we have confidence in God, even in such a, a tremendous tragedy? Well, Job did. And in verse 20, it says, then Job arose, he tore his robe, he shaved his head, and he fell to the ground and worshiped. And he said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job did not sin, nor charge God with wrong. And it would be easy to blame God when bad things like that happen in our lives. It would have been easy for Job to blame God, but he didn't. Instead, he falls down and he worships God, and he basically has this mindset of whatever happens, happens. Uh, This is life. And because of sin, bad things sometimes happen in life, but I'm still not going to, uh, as his wife later on tries to get him to do, I'm not going to curse God and and die. No, uh, I am going to be faithful to God. So his confidence clearly came from God. And uh, that comes from Job's character. If you look at chapter 1, verse 8, the Lord says to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, uh, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil? Clearly, Job was the kind of man who had the character of, of being a true follower of God, and that is where his confidence comes from. Uh, he's he's stricken with boils all over his body at one point, and Job's wife asks him, she says, why are you holding fast to your integrity? And she tells him to curse God and die. But no, notice what Job's response is to her in Job 2, verse 10. Job 2, verse 10, he says to her, you speak as one of the foolish women speaks. Shall we indeed accept good from God, and shall we not accept adversity? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. Job certainly has ups and downs and immensely grief-filled moments. Uh, in chapter 3, we find out that he's cursing the day that he's born. He, he's grieving so much that he just feels terrible, and he, he says, man, I wish I wasn't even born after all this. But in spite of those moments, he's still confident in, in God, and he's still confident in his salvation. In chapter three, he ends up saying some troubling things that he says as he's grieving, and his old buddy Eliphaz shows up in chapter four, and Eliphaz basically accuses him of being confident when times are good, giving hope to others who are falling on hard times, 
But when hard times hit him, Eliphaz basically says, well, things have changed. And, and now look at you. Now look at uh, your life and, and how you're handling it. Well, Job 4, verse 6, uh, he says, Is not your reverence, your confidence, and the integrity of your ways, your hope? So his reverence, his, his attitude toward God and his righteousness is his confidence. And his integrity is his hope. And basically, Eliphaz accuses Job of some wrongdoing that must he must have done, and now he's being punished. And this thought process kind of continues throughout the book. But in chapter 9, in chapter 9, Job basically says, who are we to interfere with God's sovereign will? And the idea is that God's will is going to be in our lives and in the new testament we're reminded to pray if it is according to god's will first john 5 verse 14 so this gives us confidence and it gave job confidence knowing that sometimes we have to relinquish some of that control that we crave we have to relinquish what we want and we need to give things over to god and realize that even sometimes when bad things happen in our lives God's will can still be accomplished. And as it says in the book of Romans, all things work together for the good of those uh, who believe and follow him. And uh, basically, we need to realize that even in bad things that happen in our lives, just like bad things were happening in Job's life, we can still be confident knowing that God's will will be worked out and God can use those things uh, to, to help us become stronger and to be more faithful to him. Absolutely. And I appreciate you walking us through uh, some of the book of Job there. And, and again, when you read that entire book, you see this was a man who uh, did relinquish that, you know, I, I'm in control. I've got it all figured out. Well, he, he didn't. Uh, and he understood that he was at the mercy of God. But, you know, statements throughout that book, you know, I know that my Redeemer lives or I know that I shall see him one day. Those are statements of confidence. And where did that come from? Well, it came from that deep faith and trust in God that you brought out. And so Job is certainly someone who weathered the storm with confidence. What about, what about David? And we could look at David's life. We know that he faced a lot of storms. I've had a previous episode on, on just the life of David and what he went through. But specifically in Psalm 23, what are some statements of confidence that he makes when he says, the Lord is my shepherd? So this is uh, really a go-to passage for when someone passes away uh, a graveside service. We oftentimes read Psalm 23, or perhaps someone would like this passage read as they're on their deathbed. They want to have this passage read to them because it reminds us that he is with us, even in the valley of the shadow of death. I want you to kind of hone in on verse number four. Where, where he says, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, notice the confidence, I will fear no evil. Even in facing the most dreaded moment of life, just from a human standpoint, just, just understanding that we all feel that way, nobody really wants to die. We, we know that as Christians, because the Lord is on our side, yes, we may not want to die, but at the same time, we can still 
uh, approach that moment of our life with confidence because we know that God will be with us. Right. We know that he is with us as we walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Well, that's the same thing, the same way that, that David felt as he was a man after, after God's own heart. Was he perfect? No, he made plenty of mistakes, and, and we can read about those. But he was a man after God's own heart, and he, he did repent when things were brought out in his life that he, were, he was sinning. And, uh, and so he was confident that he was truly on the Lord's side. Well, not only can we approach death safely, um, but also we need to understand that the Bible describes the church as a place of safety. So we can approach life safely as well. And, and we are the sheep. And Jesus is our shepherd. So as we think about that shepherd psalm in Psalm 23, let's push that forward to the New Testament and think about how Jesus Christ is the chief shepherd. He is the good shepherd. John 10, verse 9, Jesus said, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. That is the idea of a safe place to dwell. He follows that up in John 10, verses 11 through 18, and he says, I am the good shepherd. And uh, as he's saying that, I imagine those who are listening to him might be thinking, oh, that kind of reminds me of Psalm 23, the, the good shepherd leading them by still waters and, and so forth. So he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. But a hireling, he who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees because he is a hireling and does not care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and am known by my own. As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they will hear my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. And Light bulbs ought, ought to be flashing one flock, one shepherd, clearly referring to the one body of Christ, the church, right. Jew and Gentile coming into it. No longer any separation. We can read about that in the book of uh, Ephesians. Right. He says, therefore, my father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. In other words, willingly, I have power to lay it down and I have power to take it again. This command I have received from my father. Basically, Jesus is saying, I'm going to die for you. I'm the shepherd. You're the sheep. And the shepherd, the lamb of God, incidentally, is going to lay down his life for these sheep, which are followers of Christ. And that gives us the ultimate confidence, knowing that we are his sheep and we will be taken care of by that shepherd that we can also read about in Psalm 23. Absolutely. And that's a, a great connection and one that we as Christians need to be reminded of daily. As we keep hearing his voice and keep following him, we are his sheep, we are his people, and we know that he is the great leader. He can lead us. And so going back to what you, you brought out in verse four, when David says, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I, that always jumps out to me. He, he's not just saying, I'm going to go to it. I'm going to walk through it. And if there's a shadow that means there's, there's some light somewhere casting that shadow. Well, that light's the, sh the good shepherd. 
he's been through the valley. He's been through death, and he's conquered it. And we can have confidence because of him and through him, uh, we can get through that. And so David says, even though I walk through it, I will fear no evil. Why? Why did he have that confidence? For you are with me. And that can give us confidence as we strive to weather the storms of life. And so great thoughts from you on Job and David. And, and there's one other example I'd like for us to discuss from the Old Testament before we move on to the New. And that's the example of Joshua. Joshua weathered the storm of having to step up and lead God's people when Moses, perhaps the greatest servant of God's people up into that moment, uh, had died. And you open up Joshua 1, and God essentially tells Joshua, listen, Moses, my servant, is dead, so now it's your time. It's your time to rise up. Now, God had been preparing Joshua for, for this. You go back to the book of Numbers, book of Deuteronomy, and you can find statements of Joshua and him telling Moses, hey, go encourage Joshua. Get him ready. But as we kind of walk through Joshua chapter 1, what are some statements that are made there that maybe would, would have given uh, Joshua confidence that he needed, and then we can make the application uh, to our lives that will give us confidence? Yeah, as you said, Joshua was really the heir to Moses, and it's not easy to follow somebody like that. Yeah. Uh, chapter 1, verse 1, it calls him the assistant of, uh, of Moses. Second in command kind of is the idea. And so Moses, God's servant, is dead now, and now it's Joshua's time to shine, and, and he's going to lead the Israelites into the land of Canaan. We remember Moses was not allowed to go into Canaan. He, uh, he got to see it, but he was not allowed to go in Deuteronomy chapter 34, uh, Numbers chapter 20. We read the reason for that being that he sinned and uh, God tells him to uh, speak to the rock. Instead, he hits it again twice. And then he says, Much, must we fetch you water out of this rock? He's attributing really the, the glory kind of, to himself, including himself in there, rather than than attributing it to God. Yeah. And so he gets punished, and, and he's allowed to see the land of Canaan, but he's not allowed to go in and lead the people into Canaan. Right. So he dies there before they actually go into Canaan. And so this is why Joshua is taking over at this moment. He's been second in command to, to Moses for a long time. Moses dies. And Joshua is given charge to actually lead the Israelites into the land of Canaan and to conquer it because God has given it to them. So the confidence that Joshua is going to have really shown here in Joshua chapter 1, well, number one, he's got confidence in the promise. Verses 2 through 4, this promise goes all the way back to the promise that God made to, to Abraham, Genesis chapter 12. God was going to give them this land. God was going to give them a mighty, to give Abraham a mighty nation. And through that nation, all nations of the earth would be blessed because ultimately the Messiah would come. Well, now we're getting to go back into that land after they had been gone from it for so long uh, in Egypt and, and in the wilderness wandering. So, chapter one of Joshua, verses two through four, he's got confidence in that promise. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, the Jordan River, you and all this people to the land which I am giving to them, the children of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you, as I said to Moses. Now, notice, they're not 
fully in the land yet. They're going into it, but God speaks of it as if he's already given it to them. Right. They've got to go in and take it, but he's already given it to them. So there's confidence there. Uh, from the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites into the great sea or the, the Mediterranean sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. Joshua could have confidence in the promise that they will receive this land. And so he doesn't have to fret. He doesn't have to worry about all these giants and walled cities in the land. They're going to be able to take it because God has given it to them. So Joshua has confidence in the promise. Joshua also has confidence in God's providence providing for them as they're going in and taking this. Verse number five, no man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. And then he says this, and I've got it underlined, I will not leave you nor forsake you. That's the same promise that God has given us too, by the way, which we'll talk about here in a little bit. So confidence in God's providence as Joshua is going in. And then confidence in the plan. Verse number six, also in uh, verse seven, also verse nine, also verse 18, over and over again, God says, be strong and of good courage. That's confidence. And there's confidence that he can have in this plan. Uh, God tells him that God will give this people the land. He tells him that he must observe to do according to all the law which Moses had commanded, not turning from the right hand or to the left, which is a good reminder for us today. Yeah. He tells him uh, the book of the law shall not depart out of his mouth, but, should, but he should meditate on it day and night. That reminds me of Psalm 1 verse 2, that uh, the blessed man's delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. God says at the end of verse number 8, he says, for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. God again reminds him to not be afraid, for God is with him. And then Joshua gets to work as he's confident in this plan that God has, has laid out for him. Joshua gets to work, and he says in verse 10 and verse 11, then Joshua commanded the officers of the people, saying, pass through the camp and command the people saying, prepare provisions for yourselves, for within three days you will cross over this Jordan to go in to possess the land which the Lord your God is giving you to possess. Joshua lays out the battle plans. He says, it's time. In three days, get ready. Here we go. And then he goes on and he tells the Reubenites and the Gadites and the half-tribe of Manasseh, yes, technically your land is over here on this side of the Jordan, but you come on over across the Jordan with us and you help us fight for the land, and then you can come back and cross the Jordan River again and, and go be with your families. So Joshua was confident in the plan. If he's faithful as a leader of this people and being strong and being courageous and uh, meditating on the law of the Lord and not departing from his mouth and leading this people into the land, they will conquer this land that God has given them. Absolutely. And, and Joshua, we recognize him as one of the great leaders, uh, really a type of Christ as well, leading the people into the promised land. Uh, but, but all three of these examples, Job, David, and Joshua, they all had confidence. Yes, they, they had to face very difficult storms, but they were all able to face them sto those storms with confidence 
because of that common thread. It is the faith that they had in God, and they confided in him. And as you just brought out with Joshua specifically, when he was able to turn and tell the people, you will be able to go through this, how, how could they make these statements? How could they say, I'm going to get through this storm? It's because they all had that deep abiding faith in God. And when you have that, it, it promotes and provides that healthy confidence that God wants his children to have in him. So I appreciate your thoughts uh, on all three of those individuals. And hopefully that can help us and help our listeners to gain the confidence that we need in God moving forward. But now we want to look at uh, some New Testament examples. Specifically, we want to think about some, some individuals who uh, not only faced spiritual storms, but literal storms. And there was a, an occasion when Jesus was with his apostles on the stormy sea, and a time when he was able to calm the storm. We also had the, the moment when Peter walks on water, uh, but then, of course, takes his eyes off the Lord. And so there's a lot of things that we can glean from that in this context of weathering the storm with confidence. So what thoughts come to your mind when you think about Jesus interacting with the apostles and maybe what the apostles did when they faced some of these storms? Yeah, just a couple of quick points here. Um, I, I said earlier that this will come back up. Just as God has promised not to leave or forsake Joshua, guess what? We have that promise too. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. He's not going to leave us or forsake us, so we can have confidence in him. Now, I want to ask ourselves, were Jesus's apostles in their interactions with Christ, were they always confident? Not always. Now, they should have been, and we see all these moments in the gospel accounts where, you know, we're reading with, with the whole picture of the Bible and the whole New Testament in view, sometimes we have to say to ourselves, come on, man, really? <laughs> to these apostles as they're learning. Yeah. But if we put ourselves in their same shoes, I'm sure we would have failed in many ways that the apostles failed as they're kind of learning and, and Jesus is teaching them, the, showing them the ropes, if you will. Right. Uh, but anyways, so they weren't always as confident as they should have been. I remember when Jesus calmed the, the stormy sea, Mark 4, verses 35 through 41, he was asleep in the ship. They woke him up, and Jesus is perfectly fine, of course. He's asleep. He's sound asleep. But they wake Jesus up, and, and they say, Master, do you not care that we are perishing? So they, they think this is it. This is the end. We're about to die because of this boisterous sea that we're on. Uh, so they weren't exactly confident in him at that moment they should have been after seeing everything that he was capable of and all the miracles that he was performing but they still weren't as confident as they should have been jesus ends up of course rebuking the wind and he tells the sea peace be still what about the metaphor for our lives uh, the metaphor that really you get the name of your podcast from weathering the storm what about those storms of our lives we need to understand that Jesus Christ has the power to say, peace, be still. And, and we need to have comfort in that whenever we're having to weather various storms of our lives. What about when Peter walked on water a little bit later? Uh, he saw Jesus walking on the water and he wanted to join him. But eventually, as you said, he took his eyes off of Christ. He began to look at those waves and realize, oh, this is uh, pretty dangerous. And what happened? He began to start sinking. Mm -hmm. Matthew chapter 14, verses 22 through 33. Well, what does Jesus say to him after he begins to sink? He says, oh, you of little faith, 
why did you doubt? You see, Peter lost confidence in that moment. He took his eyes off of Christ and he started doubting and he didn't have faith. Well, if we are truly faithful as Christians, then we should have confidence in Christ no matter what happens to us in our lives. So when we take our eyes off of Christ, that's what happens to us too. We begin to sink just like Peter began to sink. Hebrews 12 verses 1 and 2 tells us that we've got this great cloud of witnesses that surround us. And so what do we do? We let aside, we, we lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and we need to run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus. We've got to keep our eyes on Christ. He's the author and finisher of our faith, and the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. He sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. We've got to place our confidence in him. And then there's, there's one other example that I'd like to mention, and that's another interaction with Peter. <clears throat> that's when Peter denied Christ three times. Matthew 26, verses 69 through 75, Peter denies Christ three times. Now, Peter had said that he'd be willing to die for Christ. He'd be willing to do whatever it takes to, to stand on the Lord's side a little bit earlier. But when the moment came, he chickened out. No, no pun intended, because that rooster crowed. But that's what happened. Peter chickened out. He, uh, he denied Christ three times, and so he wasn't as confident in Jesus as he thought he was. Now, we make all these points to say this. If Peter and if the other apostles weren't always as confident as they should have been in Christ, and they saw those miracles firsthand. Now, we can read about those miracles, and they can produce just as much faith in us as they did those people who saw them firsthand. Mm -hmm. But these apostles saw Christ and his miracles firsthand, and they still at times were not as confident as they should have been in Christ. If that can happen to them, how much more so can it happen to us? Therefore, we need to make sure that we are guarding our hearts we are ensuring that we are truly confident in the one who told us that he would never leave us nor forsake us. We've got to make sure that we're building that confidence by study of his word and meditating on it and praying uh, with God to help build our confidence in him. Absolutely right. And, and those are some great examples there and, and a, a great reminder that all these individuals we've talked about are just that. They're people, they're human beings. And at times they did struggle with, with confidence. Uh, but we, we, of course, can learn from their example and hopefully strengthen our faith. You know, when you're saying that, something came to mind. In James 1.5, you know, it says, If any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God. What if we could word it this way? If any man lack confidence, let him go to the Word of God. You know, let Absolutely. him go to these examples. And over and over and over again, when God says, I'm going to be with you, and then to look at the end result, hey, God was with them. He never left them. Uh, and like you, you brought out, Jesus was able to calm that storm. He can calm our storms today. But we've got to keep our eyes on him and, and keep the confidence in our Lord to carry us through. And, and he certainly is able to do that. So I, I appreciate your thoughts there and, and, and making that connection for us. And, and as we, we close out this episode today, Chase, I want to ask you to 
if you will, provide a takeaway for our audience. Maybe one one thing that you really want to get across that they can take with them that will give them confidence when they weather the storms of life. Sure. And uh, it, it's from the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6. Jesus is dealing with various everyday worries and concerns, food, clothing. Jesus tells them, don't worry about those things. Verses 33 and 34, Jesus says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these other things, they'll be added unto you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. At the end of the day, we need to keep Christ and his kingdom first in our lives. Everything else is going to work itself out. And we've got all these tremendous examples that we've talked about today and, and many others in the Bible that uh, will give us confidence and, and will prove that that is so. Absolutely. And I appreciate you sharing that example. And ironically, the one I'd like to give to our audience is from the very next chapter. Same sermon, Matthew chapter 7. Uh, toward the close of that sermon, we have the wise man and the foolish man who built their house. You know, the foolish man built it on the sand. And when the storm came, you know, that, that, that it went splat, as we've seen with our children. Yeah. But the wise man was the one who heard what the Lord said and did it. And so he built his house on the rock. So for us to have confidence, let's build our house on the rock. Let's have that rock-solid foundation. And as, as Chase just said, let's put, seek first the kingdom. Let's make sure our priorities where they need to be. But let's keep our confidence and our trust in God, uh, the one who is able to carry us through these difficult storms that we may face. Uh, so, Chase, thanks again, brother, for being on with me today. Uh, I've enjoyed our, our discussion, and hopefully we've been able to help uh, those uh, who have been listening today to weather the storm with confidence. Appreciate you so much. And to our listeners, thank you for being with us. We hope and pray that this episode will help you in some way to weather the storm. Thank you, and God bless. Thank you for listening to this podcast from the Scattered Abroad Network. If you would like to email us, you can do so at the Scattered Abroad Network at gmail.com. That's the Scattered Abroad Network at gmail.com. Remember, you can check the show notes below for all of our social media platform links. Also, don't forget that you can find us on all major podcast platforms and please leave us a rating or review. We hope and pray that this has helped you grow closer to Christ even though we are scattered abroad. May God bless you.